We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 again today, verse 7 through 13. I'll read it for us in just a moment. If you haven't noticed this and you're not aware of these, there are these little sheets out there on the cafe table right next to the door as you're going out. And on, they're titled Go Deep. We use them on Wednesday nights um, as part of our discussion about the passage and about how to live it out. And they, they're there for you to take so that you can think through the passage. Hearing the sermon's one thing. Then actually thinking about the text and what God's saying is another thing. And I'd encourage you to pick up those and week by week and then think through the passage afterwards and see what God wants to say more to you about it. So Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last October, the Pew Research Center revealed that Democrats and Republicans don't like each other. I mean, who would have guessed? (laughs) Polling found that 64% of Democrats and 55% of Republicans have either just a few or zero close friends from across the political aisle. That in itself is interesting to me. 64% of Republicans, but only 55% of Democrats. I'm guessing that means that one Democrat has several Republican friends. Right? Must, I guess. I don't know. But it's getting worse. So according to CNN, the number of Democrats and Republicans who saw the opposing party, the other guys, as very unfavorable was 16% and 17% respectively back in 1994. That's not that long ago. Today, it's 44% and 45% respectively. There are deep rifts running through American life, and politics is only one of them. There are others, race, gender, uh, socioeconomic standing, ethnicity. A young Mexican man came to the U.S. to study In Mexico, he'd lived in a place like the place where we send people. We've gone for the last dozen years or so on mission trips. He'd lived in one of those places, and he came to America, and this is what he said. In Mexico, they wanted to be my friends because they wanted to do missions to me. But when I moved to the United States, no one wanted to be my friend. Ouch. In the 1880s, A.B. Simpson was pastoring a well-heeled Presbyterian church in Manhattan. When he led dozens of Italian immigrants to faith in Jesus and then brought them into the church, the church session, like you know, our church board, told Dr. Simpson they were thrilled that he was helping all of these people come to Jesus. But didn't he think they would be more comfortable 
and a church for their own kind. Those posh Presbyterians had stumbled into one of those deep rifts. Christians of all people should cross those chasms of race and gender and ethnicity and income to share Christ's love and be his body. Paul envisioned the church to be a place, a people, a movement that bridges the world's deep divides. The church of Jesus simply does not operate the way the rest of the world does. In the church, people don't have to pass a litmus test to be welcomed. Are you our color? Are you our party? Are you our kind? Well, no, then there's the door. That's not the way it is. The church not only proclaims the good news, it embodies it. It lives it. Or say rather that Jesus continues to live the gospel through the church, his body. He is still loving sacrificially, still welcoming the stranger, and bringing people to God, only now he's doing it through his body. The theological truth that God so loved the world is fleshed out, is incarnated in the way the church loves the world. Not too long ago, Time Magazine ran an article called 240 Reasons to Celebrate America Today. The 77th reason, number 77, was the Waffle House. Reason to celebrate America, Waffle House. The article wrote, it's so dependable, Waffle House, so dependable, they're open 24 hours a day, right, that FEMA has a so-called Waffle House index for disasters. So if those locations are closed, then you know things are bad. That's what he wrote. Time didn't celebrate Waffle House because of their food. But because, as one customer put it, there's no ego, no pretension. It's welcoming to all. Isn't that what people should be saying about the church? No ego, no pretension, welcoming to all. A proprietor from a Madison, a trendy Madison Avenue restaurant went to a Waffle House, and afterwards he said it was a reminder of how important hospitality is. We just felt so taken care of. Isn't that what people ought to be saying about Lockwood? We just felt so taken care of. The church doesn't just speak the gospel. It lives it. It proclaims it in word, but models it in deed. Models the welcome of the God who wants a right relationship. That was Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17, with people, whether Jews or Gentiles, and that takes in everyone. The effectiveness of the church's gospel proclamation is directly correlated to the church's gospel operation. How will people ever believe that God will take them in if the church shuts them out? Imagine the church auditorium. So imagine a church auditorium. If you can picture this one this way, imagine this. It's set up so that the church, all you folks, are sitting behind the pastor like a choir. And week after week, the pastor doesn't face the church, the people who belong to Jesus. He faces the people who are visiting, people who are not yet connected to God, unbelievers, doubters. So there's the picture. The church, the people who have committed themselves to Jesus, are standing behind the pastor. They've got his back. 
while in front of the pastor are pre-Christians or non-Christians. And they're listening and they're watching the pastor, but all the time they have the church in their sights. Now he's preaching an evangelistic message about the God who invaded the world. He tells them how this God sent his son into rebel territory to take the world back and how his son sacrificed his own life to rescue God's enemies. He tells them God did this because he loved them, even though they had rejected and ignored him. He tells them that God wants everyone to know his love and join his people. If, as the preacher tells the story of Jesus, his heresy behind him, a church that confirms that story by the way they live, they'll be moved by what they hear, and some of them will believe. But if, as the preacher tells the story of Jesus, his heresy behind him, a church that contradicts that message by their self-centeredness or their disinterest, then those hearers will find it hard to believe. See, God's plan, is, and is really brilliant, has both audio and visual components. While the preacher is telling the story, he and the rest of the church are acting out the story. Words are important, but words are not enough. It's important to get the doctrine of the person and the work of Jesus right. But it is doubtful that a person can ever get the doctrine right while his life is wrong. And even if he could, is that really what God is after? Is that all he wants us to to cross our theological T's and dot our, our doctrinal I's? No, God wants us to understand the gospel so we can live the gospel. And where do we start living the gospel? Right here in the church. We start, this is verse 7, by accepting one another the way Christ accepted us. We act out the message that God has re- is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And we start with each other. If we can't model that with people who share the same spirit and the same allegiance to the same Lord, how will we possibly act it out with people who don't, with people from other faiths, from other countries, with other values and other worldviews? The word translated except in verse 7 is dynamic. This is not, well, she's part of the family, now I guess we're going to have to accept it. This word has the idea of taking someone to yourself. You could literally translate, take to yourself one another. Eugene Peterson paraphrases, reach out and welcome one another. The acceptance that Paul is talking about in this verse is not reluctant, it's not grudging, it's not passive. He's calling us to take the initiative. Years ago, I met a woman, and I thought it was for the first time, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Shane Looper. And I stuck out my hand, and she said, rather ominously, I know who you are. That was not the kind of response I was expecting. And then she said, I've been to your church. I said, oh, great. I hope you had a good experience. And she responded, it was very unfriendly. No one talked to me. And I said, oh, I am sorry to hear that. No one talked to you? Didn't, didn't the greeter speak to you when you came in? And she said, 
Well, yes, but no one else spoke to me. I could see in my mind what had happened. This woman came through the doors wearing a sign that said, no trespassing. I mean, not literally, but her expressions, gestures, body language, all told us, leave me alone. I don't think that's what she intended, but her expressions and gestures and body language had become ingrained in her body over the years, and now she couldn't help it. What she really wanted was to be noticed, to be valued. She wanted someone to reach out and welcome her. But people read her body language, her sign, and nobody wanted to take the risk. They didn't want to take the initiative. But Paul is telling us to take the initiative in welcoming people. That's gospel. It acts out visually what God did historically by sending his son who died for our salvation. Have you ever heard of the rule of St. Benedict? Benedict was a monk who lived 1,500 years ago. He outlined in the rule how life was to be lived in the monastery and provided instructions for different jobs in the monastery, including detailed instructions for one that we might think is a pretty minor role, opening the door. That was the role of the porter. He was instructed to sleep near the entrance to the monastery so that he could respond quickly when someone knocked. He was told to offer welcome, in Benedict's words, with all the gentleness that comes from reverence to God and with the warmth of love. As soon as he heard the knock, the porter was to reply, thanks be to God, even before he knew who was on the other side. And then he was to let all the other monks know that they had a visitor so they could welcome this person in too. The Benedictines saw this as a way of embodying the gospel of the welcoming God. Now contrast that to the way the 20th century writer Dorothy Parker, famous writer of short stories, essays, habitually greeted people when they called on the telephone. When anyone would call, she would pick up the phone and say, what fresh hell is this? When people walk through the doors out there, Do they hear Dorothy Parker, or do they hear St. Benedict? What fresh hell is this? Or, thanks be to God. And Paul's not just talking about people walking through the doors of the church. Church didn't have buildings in those days, so they didn't have doors. He's talking about people walking into our lives. We need to reach out and welcome them the way Christ reached out and welcomed us. That's part of what it means to be committed to Christ-likeness, to the gospel. Paul says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Well, how did Christ accept us? How did he reach out and welcome us? To begin with, he made the first move. He accepted us proactively. If he'd waited for us to reach out to him, he would have waited forever. He came to us. We didn't go to him. St. John says we love him because he first loved us. If we're going to accept one another like Christ accepted us, we mustn't wait for the other person to make the first move. We take the initiative. Secondly, he accepted us sacrificially. It cost him to reach out and welcome us. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 
And then there was the sacrifice of the cross. Welcoming people, crossing chasms. It's costly. Our acceptance was at his expense. Third, he accepted us to the glory of God. That's the end of verse 7. He didn't accept us because we were such a great catch. It's not like we're so important that our inclusion would look good on his resume. He accepted us because he wanted to glorify his Father. Wanted to shine a spotlight on the God who so loved the world that he gave. Fourth, he accepted us in spite of protest. Some people didn't want our kind. They were like those Manhattan Presbyterians that A.B. Simpson knew. You know, one of the most common complaints leveled against Jesus during his time on earth was that he hung out with the wrong people. It was because he hung out with the wrong people, in part anyways, it was because he hung out with the wrong people that the right people hanged him. Did you also know we were the wrong people? Almost everyone in this room, Gentiles, the wrong people. If you let what others think of you prevent you from reaching out and welcoming others, you're contradicting the gospel. Dave Brown, who was jail chaplain for many years, told me he once asked a released inmate to meet him at a restaurant. The man had a criminal sexual conduct conviction, and many people in the community knew it. So Dave thought, if people see me with this guy, they're going to identify me with him, you know, a high-profile kind of thing. He knew that people might criticize him for being with this man, reaching out to him. They wouldn't understand. But you know what? Maybe the angels of heaven didn't understand why Jesus reached out and welcomed us. The Pharisees certainly didn't. They never got it. They, they positively objected to Jesus welcoming sinners. If you let what other people think stop you, you'll never live the gospel. Now I'll mention one more thing. Jesus accepted us knowing that not all of us would accept him. Think of Judas. Think of the people who abandoned him in John chapter 6. If we live the gospel with people by accepting them as Christ accepted us, some of them will not return the favor. We'll be slighted and rejected. There's risk in living that way. But there's also reward. Remember Jesus' strange parable, the strangest parable Jesus taught of the unjust manager. His application to the parable was this. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, and it will be gone someday, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Welcome people, and you'll be welcomed. The long-term outcome of the gospel living is assured. Those who reach out and welcome others the Jesus way and for Jesus' sake will be welcomed into heavenly dwellings. But in the short term, there's lots of risk. You may accept people who will never accept you. But keep in mind, they didn't accept Jesus either. Now, Paul uses four Old Testament passages to support his point that our acceptance of people is based 
on and modeled after God's acceptance of us. The passages are from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, and from the Psalms. The, the, the three principal sections of the Old Testament, uh, the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Through these quotations, Paul is reminding us again. See, what he's doing in this passage is he's taking a bunch of loose ends and he's wrapping them all together. This really is the wrap-up of the body of the letter to the Romans. What he's doing is reminding us again, as he did in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 9, 10, and 11, that the gospel is for everyone. Now look at the first quote. This is Psalm 18. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praise to your name. So here's a Jew praising God in the hearing of the Gentiles. He's praising God among the Gentiles. And the second quote from Deuteronomy 32, and Deuteronomy, by the way, must have been one of Paul's favorite books. He quotes it so often, six times in Romans. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now note the progression. First, God's people are openly talking about him, praising him among the Gentiles, but now those Gentiles are rejoicing with God's people. Now they may not yet believe, but they're happy for God's people who do. Maybe they say what, what people say today. Well, it's obvious you get something from your beliefs, and I'm really happy for you. It, it's just not for me. Maybe that's where they were at this point. But that's not the end of the story. Look what happens next. This is from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Here, things are still progressing. The Gentiles are not just rejoicing with God's people. They are praising their God. The good infection has taken hold. They've come to believe in the God whose acceptance has been personified in his people. And then there's one more step to this progression. Look at the quote from from Isaiah in verse 12. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. The root of Jesse, that's Jesus, will arise, that's the same word that Paul uses elsewhere and that the Gospels use repeatedly to refer to the resurrection. I'm sure this is intentional on Paul's part. He will arise to rule over the nations and the Gentiles will hope in him. So this progression ends with a look forward to the day when Jesus will reign as Lord over every kind of people. But here's the thing. The church embodies that future right now in a kind of enacted prophecy by accepting one another as Christ accepted us. We display Christ's rule over people from every ethnicity, race, gender, and class. But when we don't accept each other, we distort the prophecy. We call it into question. Lack of acceptance in the church is a sacrilege. It's a denial of the gospel of the welcoming God. Taking others to yourself is not something added to the gospel any more than speed is something added to a cheetah. It's one way the gospel of the death and resurrection of the Son of the welcoming God is lived out. Reaching out and welcoming all in the name of Jesus is gospel living. Now, 
How can we live this? How can we live this passage in real time? We can do it by taking the initiative and by reaching out and welcoming someone, starting right here in the church, right here. Now, we don't stop with the church, but that's where we start. There are plenty of people here you don't know or don't know well. Don't wait for them to make the first move. That's not the Jesus way. You reach out to them. Invite them over. Meet them for coffee. Go together for lunch after church. Say to them, hey, there's bowling this afternoon. Do you want to go? Let's go. And don't limit yourself to asking people who look like you. Find people who don't look like you. Older, younger, of a different race or ethnicity. People who look like they might have more money than you. People who look like they might have less money than you. It's okay if they say no. You can take no for an answer. Just don't take it for a defeat. You've already won just by asking. Just by reaching out. And maybe, just maybe, people will start talking about Lockwood the way that reporter wrote about Waffle House. No ego. No pretension. And welcoming to all. All right, let's pray. Lord, may that be the case here. May we have a reputation as those people who welcome others, not based on what they look like, or the clothes they wear, or the color of their skin, or the the political party they belong to, Not based on any of that, but based on the fact that you welcomed us. Lord, please take these words. And refine them. And make them pointed enough that they find their way into our hearts. And I ask you to do this for the sake of the Son of the welcoming God, Jesus. Amen.